You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Here's Nate. Well, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul absolutely bursts onto the scene uh, with deep, profound, and wonderful truth in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. Namely, chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he begins to expound upon a few of those deep and wonderful blessings that belong to all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And, you know, to hear some speak of the relationship that we have with Christ and what Christ has done in our lives and hearts, you would expect that Scripture would say that the blessings come as a result of obedience. But Paul tells us that there are these deep spiritual blessings. Every one of them are already ours, past tense, as a result of being placed in to Christ. And as we'll learn in Ephesians chapter 2, this is not done through our own works of righteousness, but by his grace and by placing our faith in his wonderful work of righteousness. Now, after those first 14 verses in chapter 1, where Paul is basically in one long run-on sentence, rejoicing over these deep and wonderful riches that are ours in Christ, Paul then in verse 15 of chapter 1, where we pick up our study today, begins to uh, offer up his prayer for the Ephesian church. He says it this way, beginning in verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So Paul now gives them a glimpse into his prayer life for them as a church. Remember, this is the Ephesian church. This is a church that was very dear and near to the apostle's heart. This is a church that he wept over when he had to depart from them and their elders for the very last time in the book of Acts. This is a church, I think, where Paul discovered and learned a model of ministry in pulling away with the few, teaching them in the school of Tyrannus every day. And as a result of that teaching ministry on a daily basis, within two years, all of Asia Minor had heard the word of God. Paul saw an effectiveness in Ephesus, a fruitfulness in Ephesus. This was a church that was very close to his heart. And so this church, Paul prays for And we have now a chance to look at the specifics of this prayer. First of all, he begins by telling them in verse 15 why he prayed. He says in verse 15, for this reason, and he gives us the reasons of his prayer. I think in one sense, this is a statement of uh, a culmination of what has already been 
declared, that we are chosen, they were adopted, given grace, redeemed by God, forgiven by the Lord, sealed by his spirit. And so as a result of all these incredible truths, there's this very specific prayer that Paul wants to pray for the Ephesian church. But also he goes on to say, because, verse 15, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. In other words, their faith in Christ and their love for the saints was also a deep motivation for Paul to uh, pray for them. And of course, faith and love are general hallmarks, trademarks of the uh, Christian life. And so even though he hadn't been with them for uh, eight to 10 years, Paul had heard of their ongoing faith, had heard of their Christian Christ-like love. And so he, knowing of them as believers, sought to pray for them as a result of listening and hearing these wonderful things about them. And notice also in verse 16 and 17, he tells us how he prayed for them, not just why he prayed, but how he prayed. He says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. There was this unstoppable, unceasing brand of prayer flowing from Paul's life. Now, he was imprisoned at the time. He had made a habit of making prayer a massive part of his ministry here on earth, in some ways, probably directly related to his chains. You know, he there imprisoned, realizes he can't go and travel, but in prayer and by prayer, he is able to. And so he had this unceasing uh, prayer life towards them. But he says also, I remember you in my prayers. And he says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And so he was crying out in an unstopping way, but crying out to the Father of glory. Now notice what he prayed for in verse 17 and 18. First of all, there in verse 17, it's striking. Not necessarily praying for uh, physical blessings and uh, physical health. These are wonderful and important things, but it's good for us to remember in our theology that God uh, has decided that he is going to take care of the physical blessings and the emotional health uh, most fully in all of eternity. A lot of times people have this theological problem when they look upon God. You know, if God were so good, then why am I coming down with this particular sickness? Or why is there this particular difficulty or trial uh, inside uh, of my life? And really, if we thought about that for a moment, and we th thought about the grid with which we were looking at God as we made that kind of statement, then really what we're saying is that if, if that theology chased itself all the way out, what we'd be saying is, is that we don't believe that anyone should ever die. We don't believe that anyone should ever experience any level of pain. We don't believe that any of those things should exist if God were so good. 
But the right view and perspective, of course, is to understand that God doesn't want those things to exist either. He chose, however, to banish them forever, not here on this earth, but to heal this earth by embracing great difficulty and hardship himself, dying himself, shedding his blood, rising from the dead, and creating a day for those who believe and trust in him where every tear will be wiped away where every sorrow will be done away with it is yet future for us in christ and so i just wanted you to see that paul's prayer as he prays for them he prays for them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so often as you look at paul's prayers the practical, physical, experiential here and now stuff is strikingly absent. Uh, Paul was involved in seeing people healed. Uh, Paul cared for financial provision. It's not that these weren't things that he was concerned with. He wasn't so heavenly minded that he was of no earthly good. It's just that Paul understood the priority. And as he prayed for the Ephesians, he prayed that their eyes and mind would be open, that they'd have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 18, having the eyes of your understanding enlightened. In other words, what Paul is praying for, for here for the Ephesians, his big prayer request is that they would have a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says that in a few different ways. I want you to have wisdom regarding him. In other words, wisdom is, is not just knowledge, but it's knowledge then applied uh, wisely. And then he says, I'm praying for you to have revelation. This is that the knowledge of Christ would not only be applied, but that it would be uncovered, that they would discover more about uh, the Lord. And so it's obvious here as you look at Paul's prayer, he wants them to grow in the knowledge of him. His main goal is that they would have an increasing knowledge about Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. So often in our modern Christian books and the things that we speak of, the messages that we often deliver, there's an absence of the message of Jesus. And Paul was uh, concerned mostly uh, that Christians would learn more about Jesus the treasures that are in Jesus, believing that it would impact and permeate the rest uh, of their lives if they had a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see here in the book of Ephesians. Paul is going to be a part of the answer to his own prayer in opening their eyes and illuminating Jesus Christ uh, to them. You know, if I were to go and attempt to purchase a new home and began to shop around, if I went and found a house whose foundation was absolutely broken down, totally corrupt, maybe built on the sand or something like that, and as I toured the home, I absolutely ignored the foundation, but perhaps found that uh, in the upper uh, story of the house, uh, there was a, you know, uh, let's say a fixture in the bathroom that I just didn't like, not my favorite. I want to change that out. And 
let's say then that I became infatuated with that. I want a new faucet in that bathroom. And that was my whole focus. If I could just get a new faucet, then this house would be perfect. Ignoring the fact that the foundation is going to corrupt everything about that home in the weeks, the months, the years to come. It's so important to pay attention to the foundation. Oftentimes, Christians forget the foundation. Jesus Christ, we are built upon him. The more we know of him, the more we discover of him, the healthier we become. Let's not chase fixtures when there is a foundation uh, that we ought to continue to grow in and build upon. Paul prayed for them to know more of Jesus. Now he also prayed there in verse 18 that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Now this is interesting because previously, you know, he's praying for revelation and knowledge. This is growing knowledge. We understand that idea. But this word enlightened is a, is a word that you might not expect to hear Paul the Apostle say. It's a word that actually means uh, in the original language something very similar to the idea of being enlightened. It's an epiphany-like experience, a, a real opening up of the eyes and the heart. That sort of aha moment. In Paul's culture, they would use this word to at times describe an initiation where, you know, a secret handshake or whatever is delivered. And now something that you previously did not know, you've been enlightened, clued in, and now you know. So Paul is praying here for two things, really, for the Ephesian church. He wants them to grow in their understanding and knowledge of Jesus, that they learn more about him. But he's praying also that the Spirit would give them these epiphany-like moments where their eyes are open to see so much more about Jesus than uh, ever before. Uh, like the curtains ripping apart and something being revealed, he helps them and prays for them that they would get it, that they would know it, and that they would see Jesus on a whole brand new level. It's not that these Ephesians weren't strong believers. They absolutely were. But with these strong believers, he wanted them to experience more uh, of Christ. And I've found this to often be the case with people who've been in Christ for many years, perhaps like the Ephesian church, very mature, very strong, very gifted, very solid, in their walk with the Lord, very faithful. But there's this other level that you want to see them go to where they have this aha moment where they absolutely fall in love with Jesus on a brand new level. I've watched this happen. Maybe a good illustration for this would be to say that I've seen this happen, I think, on a musical level for people. Uh, there's the musician who can learn music like they're learning mathematics. They discover the intricacies, the details. And then there's the musician who has learned it in that kind of way. But then they hear a song or they hear a melody and that sensory experience begins to open them up to creativity and, and a whole world that they'd never discovered. It's not just that they know about music. It's that now they're in love with it. And their eyes have been opened 
been enlightened and there's this epiphany now that's a beautiful song that is played and that's what paul is praying for the ephesian church if you're a church leader i would encourage you to pray for the people within your church in this kind of way this is a biblical prayer that they would learn more about jesus that they would know him that they'd have a relationship that is uh, strong with him that they'd grow in wisdom and, and knowledge but also that they would have these enlightening moments where their eyes are open and they say aha i've seen jesus more than ever before like elisha the prophet who prayed for his servant that his eyes would be opened pray for the people and for yourself as well that your eyes would be opened to the glory of jesus christ well we're not blazing too much of a trail here today we better move on in the text we get to verse 18 the end of it and he kind of concludes his prayer by saying this is really what i'm shooting for that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might there were a few things that paul was really as he prayed for their eyes to be opened that he really wanted to make sure that they attained and that they grabbed a hold of first of all notice there in verse 18 he says i want you to to, to know what is the hope to which he has called you now biblical hope is so often different from the way that we throw around the word hope in our culture uh, for us, hope is often synonymous with a wish or a dream, keeping the hope alive, keeping the dream alive. But in the New Testament, hope is used to describe a confidence, a belief, a trust, and uh, you know, real sense of uh, knowledge that a certain good is coming my way and so here the way that you could define this is that paul is describing a trust in christ's plan for us he's telling the ephesian church i'm praying for you that you'll know the hope that you'll have this confident trust and excitement about his plan for your life and how important that is for the Christian life, not to have panic within our lives, but to have a, an eternal perspective, to trust the plan of God and to be secure in his plan, to have hope in the midst of whatever difficulty, whatever hardship you're facing, to say, my hope is in Christ. He goes on in verse 18 to say, secondly, not only hope, but also that you might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is, goes beyond just a trust in his plan for me, but also an awareness of the great future that he has for me. I mean, look at that. That you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. To just understand that as a believer, I am on my way to something and I am on my way to something great, something grand, something beautiful, something that can be described as the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
Listen, there's more than one way to be wealthy. You can be wealthy physically in the here and now, but to be wealthy eternally, spiritually, emotionally, Paul's saying, listen, a day is coming. This is the future he has for you. Riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He wanted them to know of that great hope that they should have in God's plan for them, in the great riches that would be theirs eternally in Christ, but also of the power of God toward them. He says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who uh, believe. And I love that word immeasurable. It's a word that means to throw beyond, to excel, to surpass. It's super greatness. It's beyond anything we understand greatness. It's It surpasses any other level of greatness that we've ever discovered, Paul is say, saying. There is this greatness of God towards his people. This is a realization of God's super power towards me. And of course, you think about what God has done in saving a soul and in causing someone to be born again and the greatness of God's power towards us. But also just to understand here in this life that uh, he wants to give us power to evangelize, to suffer well, to be transformed, to conquer sin, to serve, to speak, to work, to love, to rest in him, to have fears cast out. Uh, the Lord is speaking to us here and saying, listen, I am strong on your behalf and I'm, I want you to understand this. And that's what Paul was praying for. Ephesians, I'm praying that you would understand his great power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So just to understand that, and if you're serving the Lord, you know, I find that in my life, it's so easy to forget the great power of God in uh, the things that he's asked us to do. Uh, so often I come face to face with my own limitations, with my own uh, weaknesses, with my own frailties. So often I come face to face with the understanding that this is a monumental task. I'm not sure that I'm up to this great and monumental task. And just to remember in those moments, the greatness of his power toward us who believe that there is this God in heaven. And because of the blood of Jesus, he is effectively working on our behalf and to remember his great power. Oh, that our churches, oh, that our church leadership would embrace the concept of the great power of God. It's not all about our human understanding and ingenuity and organization. We're called to work hard, that's for sure. But unless God himself is laboring with us and for us and going before us, our labor will be in vain. And so Paul says, I'm praying that your eyes would be open, that you would know these things, have an epiphany of these things. You might know of this hope and these riches and this power of God toward you. In verse 20, he closes out this prayer in this chapter 
by saying that he worked. And remember there at the end of verse 19, he says, the, the power of God according to the working of his great might, that, verse 20, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a mouthful from Paul. But as he concludes telling the Ephesians what he's been praying for for them, and he talks about this power that he wants them to understand, he digresses for a moment and says, you know, it's the same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Verse 20. In other words, this is resurrection power that the Father wants to work towards you. And really, what we understand as we work with our own hearts and as we work with other human beings, we understand that at the end of the day, what is needed is not just a power to uh, resuscitate, not just a power to, you know, get someone's attention, not just a power to gain a following or an audience what we really need is a power to raise from the dead and thankfully that power is from god towards us not only that but it's heavenly power he said it's the same power that seated jesus at his at the father's right hand in the heavenly places ascension power so to speak power far above uh, principalities and powers, power far above the uh, laws that govern uh, this earth. Far above, verse 21, this is a further description of this power, and far above means way past, way past all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. So this power of God goes far past leaders, far past uh, authority, you know, action or might and far past even demonic power. He says far past power and dominion. So there is really no force in heaven, hell, or on earth that is stronger than the strength of God, the power of God. And Paul says this power is what is working towards us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Not only, verse 21, in this age, but also in the one to come. This is power that will be working towards us forever and ever and ever. Amen. In other words, there is no time in all of eternity that the power of God will cease to work for and towards us. And verse 22, he put all things under his feet. This is complete power total power uh, from God and gave him as head over all things to the church. He has all the authority within the body of Christ. So again, he's just rejoicing over this great and wonderful power which God has given. And then speaking of the church in verse 23, as we close out this chapter, he says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So again, Paul is referring to the church as the body of Christ, a picture that he'll continue to paint in the coming chapters and verses. But again, a reminder, Paul, in praying for the Ephesian church, he says, I want you to understand and realize the immensity of his power for and towards me. Let's encourage each other towards the resources, the strength, the power that is found in Christ Jesus. So often we point each other to a weaker resource, but the resource above all resources and the power above all powers is Jesus Christ alone. And the great might of God is poured out towards us through the blessing and the blood of Jesus Christ. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.